Wow. I am indeed thankful and honored for this opportunity. I honestly thought that the first time that I visited with you, it would actually be to hear Wes preach, but to be invited to take part in his installation as your pastor truly is uh, a highlight for me. Uh, Wes is a great friend and brother, and I am thankful that God has called him to serve in a church close by so that we can still be involved in one another's lives. Um, It's been a real privilege to know the Buntings and to to serve alongside them in in various capacities over the past nine years, and uh, what's been more encouraging is to see how God has been at work in their lives as He has grown them both spiritually and numerically. As uh, Wes mentioned, we've known each other for uh, for a little over nine years now, and our relationship goes all the way back to my first days as the pastor there at New Hope. And early on, it was obvious to me that Wes back then was a young man who was teachable, and it became very obvious early on that not only was he teachable, but he was eager to learn and grow. He has come a long way from asking me about uh, the Gospel of Mary over lunch and the Gospel of Thomas, and we had some great conversations around a, uh, a documentary that I think he had watched, and so that really began our uh, conversation about deeper things and the authority of the Bible versus a lot of the false Gospels that are out there. One of the things that you need to know about my relationship with Wes, and uh, really I think he gave such a uh, a moving introduction so that I would stay away from stories like this in in my message this morning, but uh, one of the things that you need to know about our relationship is is that one of the ways that I would like to relieve the, the stress of pastoral ministry was to play practical jokes on Wes. I mean, and let's be honest, if you've gotten to know Wes at all, you know he's, he's really a, an easy target. Um, he has the right personality, he's very uh, forgiving, and he likes to laugh a lot. Um, and best of all, he's someone who is easily startled. Now, I'm not going to share our exploits about how I would uh, leave uh, certain things in their house when they'd go on vacation that would frighten Wes when he returned. This was before they had kids, but um, we kind of had a back and forth there in, in, in Marietta with Liz probably winning more of the pranks than either Wes or I. Uh, but it really was a, a good thing for me as a pastor to develop a true friend in the church in Wes even before he began to show an interest in pastoral ministry. Now, when Wes reached out to me to do this service, obviously I was excited to do so, and he reached out earlier this week wanting to know what I was going to be preaching from because he said he would be reading the passage. And uh, my first response was that, you know what, I think I'm going to preach from Song of Solomon because I want to hear you read that in front of your congregation. Now, what pastor doesn't look forward to reading Song of Solomon publicly, right? I mean, that's, that's good stuff. 
He, he was mildly amused by my response, so I came back with, well, you know what, let's do the genealogy of Jesus from Luke chapter 3, because it would be even more fun to watch him work through those 57 names, most of which we hardly ever hear anymore. No. In all seriousness, when it became obvious that you were likely to call Wes as your pastor, I knew immediately what passage I would be preaching from if I was given the opportunity to preach at this service. It's a passage that pastors and churches need to know and apply if we are to have healthy, God-honoring congregations that are focused on the spread of the gospel and that reflect God's glory in this lost and dying world. It's also a passage that, that many pastors rightly tremble at. The call to be an example and to lead the church well is a daunting task. It's an impossible task apart from the grace of God and the help of the Spirit of God. Even more daunting for pastors is the reminder that pastors and leaders in the church will one day give an account before God for the souls under their care. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but, but I trust you see the importance of the passage that Wes just read in light of this joyous and also solemn occasion. Now this morning I'm going to tackle Hebrews chapter 13 verses 7 through 17 under three main points. First of all, we'll consider an example worthy of being followed. God's words to pastors and leaders in the church. Secondly, we want to consider a savior that is worthy of our total devotion And finally, we want to consider what it means to be a church that is known for her faithfulness. Now, it's been my prayer that God would strengthen us all for a greater faithfulness and service to him as we eagerly await his return for his bride. Now, to appreciate what we find here in Hebrews chapter 13, it's important that we have at least a sense of the context of this incredible book. The book of Hebrews, whose author is unknown, was originally written to a community of Jewish Christians and also non-Christians who were experiencing major persecution for the faith. And throughout this letter, we find references to the Old Testament, uh, many references to the book of Leviticus, as the writer makes the case that Jesus, the, the Messiah, is greater than Moses. He's greater than the Mosaic law. He's greater than the the Levitical priesthood because those things were designed to serve as a picture of all that Jesus would accomplish when he came. Now, this was before the days of Photoshop, so you can rest assured that the reality in Jesus is much greater than the pictures that we find in the Old Testament that were designed to prepare the way for his coming. For 11 chapters in Hebrews, we see why Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than the high priest, greater than the Old Testament sacrifices, and greater even than the angels themselves. And here in chapters 12 and 13, the writer of Hebrews calls the church to action in light of the greatness of our God and Savior, keeping our eyes firmly fixed on our Lord Jesus, who did everything necessary to reconcile us to God. The book of Hebrews truly is one of the greatest sermons that you could ever read. And here we find ourselves in the application 
Now, honestly, I wish I had the time and talent to to delve deeper into both chapters 12 and 13, but I imagine at some point you will find yourselves working through this book under Wes's capable guidance. So as we consider, first of all, an example worthy of being followed, let's quickly pray together. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you for this dear church. Lord, I thank you for how in your sovereign goodness you have brought the Buntings here and Wes here to serve as the pastor at such a time as this. Lord, we thank you for this service of of celebration and dedication, celebrating what you have done in the life of this church and in the Buntings as you have brought them together And Lord, we pray that you are honored and glorified in all that takes place. Lord, we pray for the fruit of of this church's ministry going forward, Lord, that this church would, would be a shining light of the gospel to the surrounding community, to the county of York and Lancaster County and around the world. Lord, do good to your church, we pray. Lord, I ask you for help. As I preach this morning, Lord, may it be a blessing to your people, Uh, Lord, may it strengthen West for service, and may it most importantly bring glory to your name. I ask in Christ's name, amen. Let's consider first an example worthy of being followed, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, it's important that we keep in mind uh, the fact that As we read the New Testament, almost every one of the churches that are written to and written about there were dealing with some form of false teaching that was threatening the health of the church. And this was true also in the case of the book of Hebrews as well. Uh, One of the things that the writer of uh, Hebrews uh, was was doing was, was trying to help the Jewish Christians resist the temptation that they would face to embrace false teaching. Specifically, false teaching of the Judaizers who were seeking to mingle the legalistic approach uh, to the ceremonial laws with the teachings of true Christianity from the apostles. This is why the writer of Hebrews goes to such great lengths to show how Jesus was the fulfillment of what we find pictured and promised in the Old Testament. Our enemy, the devil, is constantly working to undermine the truth of the gospel and the authority of God's word. This was true in the early church, and brothers and sisters, it remains true to this very day. And the writer of Hebrews points out to the the spiritually mature leaders in the church as examples of faithfulness and steadfastness for the rest of the body of Christ. The idea of remembering that we see in verse 7 is an important one. In the, ver- the verb tense in the Greek is in what's known as the present tense. And this indicates that the expectation is that their remembering is something that they will do in an ongoing fashion. Remember your leaders. Continue to look to your leaders as examples of steadfastness and godliness. He's not writing about a one and done hey, remember your pastor, remember your elder. No, he's saying consistently look to them as examples of faithfulness, examples that are worthy to be followed. These leaders who spoke the word of God to them were trustworthy because their lives matched the truth that they had taught. 
Brothers and sisters, authority in the church comes primarily from the Bible. And when pastors and leaders teach and preach, they are authoritative to the point that they remain true to what God has revealed. There's also an element of authority in the church that comes with spiritual maturity as, as well as, 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 and true leaders understand that they teach and lead first as those who are under the authority of God's word. This is what makes the outcome of their way of life and faith worthy of our imitation. Now, this isn't the first time that we see a writer in the New Testament pointing to leaders as examples to the flock. In his writings, the Apostle Paul unashamedly sets himself forth as an example to be followed, not because he was proud, but because he had learned the importance of living with an eye to the day he would see Jesus face to face in glory. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now we see the writer of Hebrews using this same approach in calling the church to imitate or mimic the faithful leaders within the church. Now again, I'm not talking about cult-like imitation. You all don't need to have a, a perfectly manicured beard or the trendy dress and mannerisms that, that Wes may have from the pulpit. Paul is, or the writer of Hebrews is, is writing about their godliness. And this is something that we should all aspire to as followers of Christ. Godly leadership within the church always inspires a greater devotion to Christ, not to the leaders themselves. Wes, you and your associate and the other elders and teachers lead. As you lead, God's expectation for you is that all you do, you do in a way that inspires the church to be more faithful to Christ. As you know already from serving as an elder at New Hope, much of your ministry will be behind the scenes, pouring into others and, and preparing to teach publicly. As you do so, remember that your example matters. Love the church patiently and passionately. Set an example in how you love and lead your family. Let your life testify to the value of the gospel and many of your people will love God more as a result. And while the example of leaders is important, we find in verses 8 through 14 that in our Savior, we, we find one who is worthy of our total devotion. Let's look at verses 8 through 14. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Now, honestly, there is a an entire sermon just from those verses in what the writer of Hebrews is, is referring to, comparing the, the altar that the high priest serves with the altar that believers have. And, and I just want to warn you up front that I'm just going to touch on that briefly. So go back and, and read. Get Wes to preach on this because it is amazing. But, but in these verses, I, I think we find a hint uh, concerning a, an aspect of the false teaching that was threatening the original audience. The, the, writers of Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews begins with an important declaration. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In other words, he and the gospel are unchanging. The, the original gospel which had been proclaimed to these believers was a gospel that was sufficient to save them. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah whose life and willing sacrifice satisfied the requirements of God to save his people. And unlike the Old Testament sacrifices which needed repeating, Jesus died once and rose again, sitting down at the right hand of God in victory. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Not only was Jesus the sacrifice, he's also the high priest who represents his people in the presence of the Father. He is our mediator and intercessor. Everything that needed to be done has been done in order for us to be reconciled to God through Christ. The the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that Jesus has not changed, nor has the basis of our salvation. So then he moves on to a warning in verse 9, and this is where we get to the, the false teaching. It says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, apparently, these diverse and strange teachings had to do with food offered as a sacrifice in the temple. Now, the nature of the teaching itself is not clear, but the answer that the writer of Hebrews gives to the church is crystal clear. He directs them to what they have in Christ versus what was once set forth in the Old Testament. Verse 10 says, For we have an altar from which those who serve in the tent, the high priest, have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by a high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. That's the place where they took unclean things. So also Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Now, I'm sure it would have been tempting for early Jewish Christians to turn back to and depend upon the Old Testament system of temple worship. 
That, that's all they knew. And, and in its pure, its pure form, it, it was good because it's something that God had instituted to direct the people to something greater, the advent and sacrifice of the Messiah to redeem his people. And, and the point of Hebrews is that in Jesus, that day has come. So everything that we read about in the Old Testament concerning the the, the priesthood, the the sacrificial system, the ceremonial laws, all of those things are fulfilled in Christ. That's that's what the the writer of Hebrews is building building up to in in the entire letter. You don't need to go back to to, to the picture because you have the reality in Christ. There, 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 there's no need to, 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 to engage in, in what was once set forth because Jesus is greater. In fact, verses 10 through 14 are a contrast between the religion of the priest who were still offering sacrifices and true Christianity. The food of the old altar is of no value because our altar is Jesus himself who bore our reproach and shame and has secured for us access to his eternal kingdom. This is the Savior whom we gathered to worship this morning, church. This is the Savior that you want to hear preached about. This is the gospel that you were called to devote your lives to proclaiming. This is the Savior who is worthy of your total devotion. Listen, brothers and sisters, there are a lot of people out there promoting a different Jesus than the one that is described here in God's word, although they try to use scripture to justify what they teach. True devotion means faithfulness to Jesus and his word and rejecting those who would promote a different Christ and a different salvation, even if we enjoy how they talk and and how they speak. This is an aspect of your faith that others cannot do for you, devotion to Christ. Your your pastor and your elders can desire a deeper faith for you. But with the Spirit's help, you must pursue a deeper devotion to the Lord. Now again, we could stay here the rest of the morning and, and, and both take delight in all that Christ has done and also consider what it means to, to go to Jesus and, and be willing to, to bear the reproach that he bore. But we must first understand that our primary calling as followers of Christ is to follow him. He is worthy of our devotion. You will hear week after week his greatness proclaimed and the gospel proclaimed. But brothers and sisters, you must respond in faith. In verses 15 through 17, we we, we see a description of a church that is known for her faithfulness. The writer continues, through him, Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. 
Now, in these verses, we see three different ways that the church is called to faithfulness. First, we see the call to to faithfulness in praising God. Secondly, faithfulness in serving one another. And finally, faithfulness in their submission to godly authority. And all of these involve a form of sacrifice and are all evidence of God-honoring faith. Now, verse 15, the writer draws a distinction between the sacrifices that Christians make with, with the former sacrificial system that he just alluded to in the previous verses. Since, since Jesus made the ultimate and final sacrifice for sin, the, the blood of animals, which foreshadowed Christ, it, it is no longer necessary. This doesn't mean that we offer nothing to God, however. Since the sacrifice of Jesus secures us and reconciles us to God, we should continually offer praise to God for his love towards us. Again, Christians, the the fact that you have been reconciled to God through faith in, in Jesus Christ is the greatest truth about you. What you accomplish in life, what talents you've been given, how great your beard may be, all pale in comparison. Nothing else makes the list. So how can we not give thanks to God for all he has done for us? In fact, we we see according to verse 15 that praise is the natural result of being a Christian. Now, I want to share a name that will be familiar to Wes and Liz. It's a name of a gentleman that you may meet someday, so I imagine that he and his wife will come and worship here at some point to encourage the buntings. But at New Hope, we have a gentleman in our congregation named George. And these past three years have been marked by physical trials in his life, beginning, first of all, with a diagnosis of prostate cancer and a resulting surgery, and and then most recently with his losing two fingers in a freak lawn mowing accident. But through it all, he has continually praised God. And when I say through it all, I mean through it all. Even as we sat in the emergency room together, uh, as he is still with an open wound in excruciating pain, he continued to bless and praise God. And not only that, to, to, to show kindness to those who were charged with his care. If you ask George, he will tell you that it is nothing special about him He simply loves the Lord. The secret, and and it's not really a secret at all, brothers and sisters, to to praising God in every circumstance is found in our appreciation of the great price that was paid to redeem us. Brothers and sisters, we should think deeply and often of the sacrifice of Jesus. It testifies to God's great love for us. It reminds us of the seriousness of sin. It serves as motivation to remain faithful when we undergo trials. And it promises us future glory for those who believe. Church, you will hear the gospel regularly under Wes's preaching. I know that without a fact or without a doubt. I want to challenge you this morning to resist the urge to tune out because you've heard it before. I know that part. I I can think about lunch. 
No, brothers and sisters, allow it to lead you into a deeper worship of your Savior. Because it truly is the most important thing about you. We find the second aspect of faithfulness in verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, kindness and generosity should be qualities that each of us are known for as followers of Christ because we have received God's kindness and generosity in the gospel. Now, we've all heard stories about cranky Christians, and if we're honest, we've all been guilty of being that way at some point. But we need to realize that we, that when we lack kindness and generosity, that this is a symptom of a deeper problem. When we lack kindness and generosity, we are worshiping a different altar than the Lord's. Unrighteous anger, impatience, irritability, and bitterness towards others, especially other believers, should warn us that our hearts are set on something other than loving God faithfully. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we must prioritize doing good and showing generosity to others because that pleases God. So so we must be consistent in our praise. We must be fervent in our loving generosity. And we must, brothers and sisters, learn what it means to follow godly leadership. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, verse 17 is... It could be a stumbling block for some based on a number of factors, but really as we consider it in context, we see that God's plan for the growth and care of the church requires faithful leadership. Remember verse 7? I know it was a little while ago. The writer of Hebrews calls the church to remember their leaders, those who taught them the word of God. The authority of pastors and elders is dependent on their faithfulness to the word of God. Those who stand in this pulpit to preach are authoritative to the degree that they are true to the text that they are preaching from. The same is true for counseling and discipleship and matters of church discipline and so on. True shepherds are those who lead the church under the authority of Christ and his word. Wes, you have been called by God and this church to lead, to care for, to protect this congregation, along with the other elders, under the authority of God's word. Church, you must understand that being a part of the body of Christ is not about preferences, but about faithfulness to God and faithfulness to one another. As the word of God is preached and taught, we we must learn to listen with eagerness and with our Bibles open. When, When we are corrected by the word, we should respond with gratitude and repentance because our desire is to honor Christ. God has given pastors and elders to watch over and guard our souls, and they will give an account before God. This is a sobering reality that should keep many from even entering the ministry or taking positions of leadership. 
And verse 17 ends with the exhortation to the church to allow their leaders to serve them with joy and not groaning because joyful leaders are of much greater advantage to the church. Pastors and leaders are are people too. They have families that they must care well for. They are concerned for the growth of the church and its well-being. They get tired. They need breaks. Honestly, the the, the temptation can be to, to, to think that they only work on Sundays. But nothing could be further from the truth. As Wes's big brother in the Lord, I ask you, church, to make sure that he takes his time off. Elders, ask him regularly about how things are going at home. But don't stop there. Ask Liz. Church members, as issues arise in your life, remember that he wants to serve you faithfully, but that yours may not be the only issue that he's dealing with. On matters of preference, learn to be charitable. In areas where there are questions or or doctrinal disagreements, be charitable and be teachable. And I have to tell you that Wes wormed his way into my pulpit many, many times over the past several years. Honestly, we were glad to have him. It was an honor to have him. But I know now, for Wes, things are different. Things are different because you've called him to serve as your pastor. You are his people under Christ. And he wants to serve God and he wants to serve you faithfully. Wes, Hebrews 13, calls you to be a faithful example a godly teacher and a shepherd to your people. As you well know, godliness never happens by accident. You must prioritize your personal growth. You must study to serve Christ's church well. You must resist the temptation to be the man and humbly serve these dear brothers and sisters for their good and for God's glory. Church, you overwhelmingly voted in favor of calling Wes as your pastor. Serve him well by allowing him to grow as a pastor as you grow with him. Make his service a joy by caring well for he and his family, by praying regularly for him, and by serving alongside. You didn't hire someone to come in and do everything for you, or at least you shouldn't have. You hired someone to equip you to do the work of ministry. Allow him to equip you and then go forth and serve for the glory of God. Let us pray together. Lord, again, we thank you for this day, for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, to worship you. Lord, in your wisdom, you have designed the church to work in this way, where men, faithful men, are called to serve as under-shepherds for you, Lord, the the great chief shepherd in our lives. Lord, I pray for Wes. I pray for the other elders. I pray for the ministries here of this church. Uh, Lord, that in all that takes place here, true discipleship would happen in the life of these dear brothers and sisters. 
Lord, that this church would grow spiritually. Lord, they would grow numerically as the gospel goes forth. And Lord, though they would truly be a light in this dark world. Lord, thank you for your kindness, your faithfulness in our lives. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the rest of this service where we uh, will be installing Wes as the pastor. Lord, we just give you the praise and glory for your sovereign goodness in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.